0: You know, there are words in, in Scripture, words in the Bible that are declared to us that that have a way of, if you take them in by way of the Holy Spirit through meditation, um, they have a way of expanding the heart and, and creating a sense of astonished awe at who God is. And I, I believe that those words were, were given to us to do just that. Um, it doesn't happen automatically and doesn't happen if you just read over it quickly, without prayerful meditation and the Spirit of God taking and, and setting it on fire, but you come across these statements like, like Isaiah 40, where it says that, you know, the Lord holds the deep in the hollow of his hand, you know? I, I grew up listening to that, but when I stopped and really thought about what that meant, it was meant to create a sense of the massiveness of of who God is. It's like, how in the world? like, And that, of course, is, is, is even um, not even close to how big God is. I mean, if you can hold the universe in, in the expanse of his fingers, well then the hollow of his hand is, is uh, nothing um, compared to the massiveness of who he really is. Or to, to read things like, all the nations, Isaiah 40, all the nations are, are but a drop from a bucket. All the nations that gain all the headlines and, and are, are the center of the spotlight of media, so they're, they're, they're like nothing less than a drop in the bucket compared to the Lord, or, or like dust on scales. And words like that are meant to just create that sense of, wow, our God is truly an awesome God, and not in a theoretical way, but the way in which it causes the heart to tremble. Or, or to read in Psalm 33, uh, that, that the counsel of the Lord, or no, the, um, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing, and, and he, uh, he frustrates the plans of the peoples. But but the Lord's counsel endures forever, and the plan of his heart Um, To all generations, or or to hear the words of Psalm 46, that the nations rage, which they're raging right now. The nations rage and the kingdoms totter. He, the Lord, utters his voice and the earth melts. Now that's a word picture that, again, if taken into the soul by way of the spirit through meditation, it's like, wow, God, you truly are awesome. If we really believe that, we'd we'd have that sense of of, of holy, astonished awe in our hearts and feel the the, the words of let the earth tremble and all that inhabit it before the Lord. Well, those are truths that are supposed to just show us the grandeur and majesty and splendor and loftiness of who our God is. And it increases our faith. But then there are other statements in Scripture which which provide a, another response, uh, similar but maybe a bit different, maybe a grateful praise. And those are the, the texts that talk about God's tenderness and his gentle care for individual people. Um, one of those statements that has grabbed my attention is Isaiah chapter 42, verse 3, and, and you probably know it, um, and it's actually the title. A bruised reed he will not break. Talking about the Lord. A bruised reed... The Lord, who is lofty, who breathes and the earth melts, a bruised reed he will not break. Now think about that for a minute. A reed is a a stem of a grass plant. Every time you walk through a field, you break reeds. They are fundamentally, by nature, weak. You can break them without a lot of strength. But to be a bruised reed means... Like, you're on the edge. You've had a wound in the side of your stem. And you're, you're, you're at the edge of, of, of folding over and dying. The, the slightest wind could come along and boom, the reed is broken. And to hear that, that the Lord is one who does not break a, a wounded or a bruised reed. That itself is absolutely astounding. You and I, God's people, in that context, you and I are the reeds. His people. We are, we are weak by nature and fragile. I know we like to think we're like super strong people and we can handle anything and we have courage and we have fortitude. And, but the fact of the matter is we're blown off course with just gentle breezes sometimes and find ourselves scrambling and frantic and fretting and anxious and fearful. That is, we are by nature, you know, weakened people, we're reeds. But then we're doubly weak when there has been a wound or a bruise in our lives. And, and that happens to God's people throughout time. And, and many of you in your journey of, of the faith have, have experienced those bruises. You know, there's... Um, I just heard this last service. A young mom, husband seeing somebody else. That's a bruise. A bruise reed. Uh, a man who's lost his job and feels the financial pressures of life bearing down on him at the middle of life, and, and that's, a, that's a place where he's, he's, he's bruised. Um, a woman who's trying to accept God's love and forgiveness in her life and trying to forgive herself because earlier in life, perhaps decades before, she terminated the life of an unborn baby. That's a, that's a, a bruise. Or A young man who has a, has a, a blood disorder that's threatening his life that he carries in him, and the doctors can't do anything about it. It's a bruise, a bruised reed. And to know that a a bruised reed the Lord will not break, that's astounding. I mean, David said, what is man that you are mindful of him? He's just simply astounded astounded that God would care about reeds, much less uh, tenderly care for the bruised reed. And I, I read Psalm 3 in light of... Of second Samuel fifteen through twenty, which is what we looked at last week. And I see in David's life a, a bruised reed. I mean part of it is of his own making and choice. If you've been following along, you know that this great man of God, a man of God's after God's own heart, his, he has lusted, he's committed adultery, he has committed murder. And in the aftermath of that choice, he has had a son die, a daughter raped, and another son who is descending upon him, as we looked at last week, Absalom, with his armies, intending on taking David's throne and essentially killing him. I mean, he is being pressed and, and uh, pressured and, and uh, all of these different ways. And uh, the sense I get in reading the story about David is that he is a bruised reed, a bruised reed. But those stories are often, well, they look at David from the outside. You know, if you were with us last week, we followed the action of what David did and what was done to him. But what we don't often get in the stories is the inside look as to what's happening on the inside. What's happening in his heart. What's happening in the heart of this bruised reed. And Psalm 3 is an inside look at a man of God who is, is, um, is fragile, who's frail who is a wounded, uh, bruised reed, and how God cares for him, but also as the psalm expresses how David's faith lives amidst this difficulty. And one of the beauties of the psalms is they were intended for us to to understand in a very heartfelt way how how faith lives in all of the different broken contexts of life. That's why the psalms are some of the favorites of those who are going through suffering. Because it's like, wow, you went through that? That's what I'm going through. And to recognize that God God in his wisdom allowed these to be put in Scripture so that we would have ways in which we could express our faith. Freedom to express our faith in similar ways. Psalm 3 is an expression of David's faith in the Lord who does not break a bruised reed. And I believe that if, um, if we take to heart the light that he shows us as to how he endured in faith amidst it all, I believe you will find yourself encouraged also to persevere in your faith as you face whatever you're facing in your life. Well, the psalm begins, and there's just four steps to it. The psalm begins with a, with a title over the top that locates it historically. It says this, and we're going to do this old school. No slides behind me. You're actually going to have to look at your Bible this morning. Or you're just going to have to close your eyes and listen to the word spoken by me. So if you've got to pull out your iPad, iPod, your droid, or whatever else you have, pull it out or actually do it old school and pull out something that has paper in it. It starts off like this um, A Psalm of David. says David's Psalm. When he fled from Absalom, his son. In the title itself, you just feel the sense of anguish of uh, David f- uh, fleeing from Absalom, his son. So that's the context. Um, basically, the story that we looked at last week armies descending. Upon David, uh, The vast majority, perhaps, of Judah and the 11 tribes of Israel gathering together in a conspiracy to come down upon him. That's, that, that's the context. And the first thing he does in this psalm, the first act of faith is a complaint. That is, he lifts his complaint to Yahweh. This is faith's complaint. Listen to the words. And notice there are three Three times the word many is used to emphasize the weight of what David is, is feeling. He says, Oh Lord, this is a passionate, urgent plea and an intimate one. Oh Lord, how many are my foes? That's how many are my enemies? The second one. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul there is no salvation for him in, in God. This is David's psalm in the middle of this crisis some of which is of his own making. He, he, he lifts his complaint to the Lord. That's his complaint. Now, we're not used to uh, thinking of complaints in the positive. That is typically we think of a complaint or complaining as a sin. And to be sure, there is a type of complaint that does come from a sinful place. If it comes from a place of ingratitude, or if it comes from a place where you're distrusting the goodness of God, then to be sure your complaint is uh, a sinful response to the crisis. Like the people of Israel back in the Old Testament, wandering through the wilderness, and God keeps providing the same food over and over and over and over and over again. Manna again, again. Jeez, Lord, can't you be a little creative and provide some, you know, Chick-fil-A or something else besides manna in the wilderness? Well, in that sense, their complaint came out of a sense of ingratitude and a belief that God is not good. So, you know, if you're one of those people that find yourself complaining to the Lord, well, I have to eat chicken and not steak, or I drive a Ford instead of a Ferrari, which in my imagination is a stretch, but um, if, if that's you, then yes, that complaint, of course, is, is a sinful response. But there's another kind of, of complaint which God's people oftentimes were afraid to express. And it's a, it's a complaint that is both healthy and essential to a, to a, a trust relationship with the Lord. I mean, uh, what do you do? I'm asking you to, to think through this on a human level. What do you do when somebody says something negative about you to other people and you find out about it? Uh, or what do you do when you find yourself at work and the other guy's promoted even though he doesn't deserve it? Or what do you do when someone cuts you off on the freeway and makes a gesture your direction, and you're just like, oh, I just want to run this guy off the road. Rarely, if ever, do you just keep that experience to yourself, right? No, you call your wife and you're going to say, you would not believe what this person said to me. Like, we naturally want to, to, to tell somebody about the injustice that has happened to us. It just, it hurts. It, it creates a sense of anger and frustration, which always wants to make its way out. We often let it out in the wrong direction in the wrong way, but David here is like, he's lifting his complaint up to the Lord. And it's not a, 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 a in the sense of ingratitude or a sense that doubts God goodness, quite to the opposite. You think of a first grader coming home from school and, and he, he walks in the door and, and um, walks up to his mom with you know the big sad eyes and she's like, what's wrong, sweetheart? And a little boy breaks into tears. He says, you know what? Jimmy said that, I'm ugly and my eyes are too big for my face. And he's just blubbering because he's completely insulted and he feels unworthy now because of this physical defect that he thinks that he has because this other person injured him. He expresses this to his mom, not because he doubts his mom's goodness, but because he trusts his mom's goodness. Climbs up in her lap and tells her because he knows and expresses it because he wants care and comfort and security and possibly for her to act. So when, when, when God brings those things, like in David's life, David's doing what the child would do, a first grader would do if he came to his mother. He's like, this is what's happening to me. And I'm t- telling you because I know you love me and because you look out for me and you care for me and you're the one who provides security in my life. So I'm telling you because I trust you. And that's part of how those of us who were born bruised, wounded reeds are supposed to endure in our faith is don't keep silent about it, but bring it to the lap of the Lord and to the throne room of Yahweh and say, I know you love me and I trust that you see this and, and here's, here's my complaint. I'm, I'm putting it on your, on your lap. I'm putting it before you here. And his complaint is pretty massive. You know, it's many are my foes. He's realizing I have a lot of enemies out there, not just one or two. I got a whole nation descending upon me. And then he goes on to say it's swelling because many are rising. It's continuing to swell. And then the last part is particularly painful. And they're saying things about me, and this is what they're saying. They're saying of my soul that there is no salvation for him in God. That is, they're saying that that I'm beyond redemption. I'm beyond your love. You've turned your back on me, and you've forsaken me, probably because they know what I did. I don't care what they say about sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I know we mean well in saying that. I'd take a stick over a word any day. Words cause regimes to fall down and can hurt a soul in ways a stick never can. And David's realizing my reputation is that I'm not, I'm not even um, within the scope of God's salvation anymore. And what does he do, though? He brings it to him. And, and I think uh, church family, Christian follower of Jesus, one who believes in the Bible, the Lord has big enough shoulders to say, tell me about it. But well, Just lock it in. But, and don't tell people that don't need to hear about it. Tell me. Me. And that's where we release the complaint, a godly complaint, a faith complaint. Well, that's what he does first. That's verses 1 and 2. Second, he doesn't stay there. He doesn't absorb in the fact or become obsessive about the fact that massive armies are descending upon him because right after he delivers his complaint, he then restates to himself and to the Lord the truth of what he knows about God. That is, we might call this faith's focus or I like better faith's food. After lifting his complaint, the three many's, he then goes on to say three things he knows about the Lord along with his prayer. He says, but you, I, I quoted this a couple weeks ago, but you, O Lord, or Yahweh, are a shield about me, and you are my glory, and you are the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. It's one thing to lift up your complaint, which is an act, if it's done with a heart of trust, it's actually an act of faith. But God doesn't want you to dwell on that. David instantly reminds himself of what he knows God to be. He's declaring to the Lord, because this is addressed to the Lord, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. That's food for the soul. To be mindful and remember and call to mind and to declare to God for our own sake who he is. Have you ever wondered, like, why, why do the... Why do the psalmists and the prophets keep telling God what he already knows? He already knows he is the everlasting God. He already knows he's the creator of the ends of the earth. He already knows that he doesn't grow faint or weary. He already knows that his understanding is unsearchable. So why rehearse it? Well, it's because we need to believe it. David needs to believe. But you, O Lord, you are my shield. You are my glory. So he preaches to himself constantly. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Speaking to himself, and don't forget all of his benefits. Don't forget the truth you know. Those are the truths that, that lift the Christian believing soul. The complaint itself does not feed. That just simply expresses. The food is the truth of what we know about the Lord. You are a shield about me. You think about the story of David's context. He's recognizing, he is admitting and acknowledging and declaring here at this point that his defender, his defense does not reside upon the valor of his mighty men or upon the martial brilliance of his three generals. He recognizes and believes and is restating that you are my shield. You, O oh Lord. And that has always been the case for God's people. To come back to that reality. You, O oh Lord, are our refuge and strength. You are our fortress, our hiding place, our shelter in time of storm. You are not constrained to save by many or few. A million can come against one, and I will still be shielded. Let that sink in, brother and sister. Um, that even today, our shield and our defender is not... An amendment in a constitution. That may shield for a while, but that is not our ultimate shield and refuge and hiding place and fortress. Or in a gathering together of brilliant lawyers or those to whom the duty of law enforcement has been granted, all of which is part of God's ordination. But that's not our shield. They were saying, you are my shield. Reminding himself of that. You're my glory, which is a way of saying you are the most worthy, the most beautiful, the most valuable thing in all of life. I've tasted and I've known it. You're my shield, you're my glory, and you're the one who lifts my head. That right there is pretty tender. You lift my head. Now, I think of a, you know, a grade school teacher who has a kid come in. Sorry, I'm kind of relapsing into my elementary school years. <laughs> this happened to me. You know, the little kid who comes sniveling into class and, and, uh, and, and he's obviously upset. And the teacher says, what's wrong? so i didn't get picked for any team and what does she do sometimes reaches down and his head's like this and she lifts his head a way of that's that's it's it's exactly what he's lord i am a dejected man and i'm mourning my sin and the calamity and i feel the shame of it but you're the one who reaches down and you know, lifts the head of the bruised reed. You're the one who lifts me up. You see, that's what we're supposed to do. You find yourself, man. I, I, you say right now, Dan, I'm the, I'm the bruised reed you're talking about. I barely made it here to church today, and um, and I'm here and hearing the bruised reed thing. You're talking about me. Well, he wants you to lift your complaint up to him in faith, but he also wants you to just constantly. Declare to yourself and to the Lord who you know him to be. To declare to yourself, therefore there is now no condemnation for me because I am in Christ Jesus. That I, though I will die, I will rise again. I am a child of the living God. That my God, he cares about the individual hairs on my head. In my case, not a big deal, but for you it's a bigger (laughs) deal. To remind yourself of those things and, and watch as the Lord strengthens you. You know, those kinds of truths, to me, is like when the guy who runs the hot air balloon, you know, when he pulls the cord or whatever they pull, and all of a sudden there's this jet of, of, uh, of fire that goes up into the balloon and it rises. You know, God intended the truths about who he is to be like that. It's like when you're at that place, you're like, you pull down on that truth, and say, Holy Spirit, just show me the Lord and remind me of who he is, my shield, my glory, the lifter of my head. Next thing you know, the balloon is rising. That's what it's supposed to do. So part one, verses one and two, he lifts his complaint. Number two, verses three and four, he reminds himself of all that God is, the truths of God. Because it's only when that sinks into the heart that you can actually be still and know that God is God. The third thing is actually David, be still. This is actually quite remarkable to me because verses five and six, He says, Imagine yourself, thousands of armies coming down to kill you and your family, thousands of men. And he says, I lay down and I slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me, He upheld me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. He falls asleep, He lifts the complaint. He reminds himself of who God is, and then he actually, it tells us he let go of it. He had the faith to actually let go of it into the hands of the Lord. He fell down and fell asleep. Now, you and I, put yourself there. I right, mean, come on. There are high school students who can't sleep because they got a B instead of an A. There are other people who can't sleep because somebody said something negative to you, and it just bothers you all night long, and you're so restless, you can't, you wake up at two. Stay awake for three hours. Just keep mulling it over in your mind. Or, or men who, who, you know, just financially, just worried and anxious and so they can't sleep. David's got armies coming down on him. And he sleeps. You and I would be freaking out. What are we going to do now? Maybe we should run over this hill, that hill. Generals, do you really know what you're doing? Are you guys in this for good? Are you going to leave me halfway through? Wife, kids head over to the other ravine over there because I don't think we're going to make it. I mean, that's where we'd be, freaking out. This tells us that faith really can come to a place where you can, after you've lifted it up to the Lord, and this is real relationship stuff here, you lift it up to the Lord and, and you remind yourself in a very real way and the Spirit says, yes, this is who I am to you, do you actually are able to find rest for your soul? That's, I, I, you can get there. And by, by, by following David's path. That's not easy. It's not like taking a, a God volume. <laughs> you know, I, I'll tell you, my, there are things that have worried me from time to time related to almost everything under the sun. I wake up at two in the morning and find myself unable to go to sleep because I keep thinking about things. And you know, I, one of the reasons I love this song is because it kind of shines a light on this is, this is how you're supposed to trust me. L- lift it up, be honest with me, tell me what's going on. But then, in the the night, to just meditate on psalms like this. All right, Lord, I'm just going to think about you. I'm going to think about who you are. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. Ah, you create. Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And that's the heart of Jesus. And not saying it's instantaneous or it's a magic trick. But once the words of God's goodness begin to wash over your soul, you find yourself waking up going, wow, I fell asleep. God let me rest. He sustained me, he upheld me. That's faith's rest. And then at the end of his, his psalm, we find his final plea for victory. This is verses 7 and 8. Where he prays out, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. He envisions God getting up off of his throne and doing something. Arise, o, o Lord, and save me, O my God. And he goes on to say, For you strike all my enemies on the cheek, and you break the teeth of the wicked. Now that sounds kind of violent, but it's largely symbol. When it says you strike all my enemies on the, on the cheek, that is a way of saying you humble my enemies. And a teeth are a sign of power. You break their teeth, it's a sign of breaking the backbone of their power. And he's praying, arise, O God, save me. Break the power of the enemy and and, and humble them. He's praying this against his own evil uh, son, the intentions of his evil son. But I want you to notice something, that he's not just worried about his own skin here. It's not just like, save me of all the people. You care more about me than everybody else. The final verse tells us that his concern is that God's blessing would be returned to His people. Look at it. Last one. Last verse. Verse 8. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing, your grace, your, your saving power be upon your people. And it's, he is mindful of the nation of Israel that the Lord cares about and He as the King cares about. See, David played a a distinctive role in, in the history of Israel. He was the means, the instrument by which God chose to rescue and to save and to establish blessing. From the first time we met him on the battlefield, he stood up to that giant and he brought him down. He was the tool of God's saving grace all the way through the defeat of the Philistines, the defeat of the nations that surrounded Israel, establishing for the people of Israel, even if it was for just a moment, equity and justice. He was a, a, a picture of God saving through a king. Of course, David was a, was a broken shadow of the king to come. We're, we're grateful that what the Lord showed us he did through David in part he would eventually do through Jesus our king who likewise faced suffering and yet while suffering prayed for the blessing of people as he died today you shall be with me in paradise father forgive them for they know not what they do his concern and purpose of his death was to bring God's blessing through the king to the people Doing what David could never do, bringing eternal salvation for our souls by taking our place and then rising again. His concern was for for the blessing of the people. It's a good mindset, it's a Christ-like mindset to keep in mind. When we are bruised, reads, that God has greater purposes than just mending our individual souls. But he wants in the process of our suffering to spill out his blessing to those around us. As David at the end of this psalm desires and prays, your blessing, O Lord, be on your people. Reestablish peace here. Reestablish your blessing. His concern is for his people as Jesus is concerned for his people and we are to be concerned with his people. So, how does a follower of God, trust her in Jesus, making our way through this painful, chaotic, oftentimes unforeseen chaos world? How is it that we manage to endure in our faith when those blows come? I think this psalm was preserved to show us a way. The Lord's saying to you this morning, And by the way, that text in Isaiah 42.3, when it says, uh, "Bruised read, he will not break. The he is a prophetic word about Jesus. He will not break. That basically, um, he is the one to whom we go. He is now on the throne, and he's the one who holds authority. That God has granted to his son. All authority has been given to me, Jesus says. So now we offer our complaint up to him, Jesus, who knows us and can sympathize with us. Here's what's going on in my life, Lord. Truths about who you are, I'm rehearsing them, I'm thinking about them, I'm meditating on them, I'm praying about them. You're giving me rest, and I'm praying for victory. That's, that's the word this morning to you, um, especially if you happen to be one of those bruised reeds. Um, God cares. He's tender towards you, and you're here probably because he is tender. And um, to hear this process he's saying tell me about it remember who I am trust that I will give you rest and then plead for victory in your life so here's an honest moment I just want to ask um, those of you who find yourself in the category of bruised or wounded reeds if you would one just be honest with yourself and the Lord that you're in that category and if you're not hey blessings on you you know, because your day's coming when you will be a bruised or wounded reed. Um, and John's going to come up, uh, come on up, John. And he's going to we're going to sing two songs. And during these two songs, I want you to think. If you are in that category, I want you to ask the Lord for courage, um, because at the end of the service, we're going to dismiss um, all of you non-bruised reeds, yeah. and we're going to be available as pastors, elders, just in these kind of two corners. While everybody else is leaving just to pray for you and I know that that's a vulnerable thing but you know what most of the time it's pride that keeps people from coming and being prayed for and, and if that's what's keeping you that just, that's, that's not the voice of the Lord speaking to you that's the voice of, of something in the flesh saying don't go so if you've identified yourself hey I'm, I'm a Bruce Reed everybody else is going to leave and come and we would love to pray for you and, and just strengthen you because um, that's what we're called to do John, lead us in a couple of songs. And do we have everybody? Or let me pray. Lord, I, I thank you for this time and just to ask for courage and, and ask for your blessing and your grace to be at work now as we seek to intercede uh, on behalf of those who find themselves in a difficult place. And we just give us courage, give us strength in Jesus' name. Would you stand and join us as we?